Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Adu. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. It'd be great if you could tell us at first a bit about your background. So where are you originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you're living right now? Sure. Um, so I was born in Brazil, uh, more specifically in Recife, which is on the coast of Brazil. Um, I lived here till I was, I was 32, and I became, I, I studied, I went to university, became an English teacher, worked here as an English teacher. But then I, when I was 32, uh, in 2015, I moved to China. I lived there for nearly five years. And then I came back to Brazil and because of the pandemic and everything, I've been here for, you know, just over a year now. Okay, great. That's a really good place for us to start. And I'm super excited to talk about your experiences in China. It's a country that is super cool. And you've actually lived there, it sounds like, in many different cities as well. So definitely want to dive into that. But before we get into your China experience, could you tell me a little bit about where your interest in even studying English and becoming proficient in English, especially in a country like Brazil, where English proficiency isn't maybe the first thing that's connected with uh, the Brazilian experience. So I would love just your thoughts on your interest in the language and how you were able to develop your skills there to become a teacher. Yeah, sure. The You're actually right. Like, I think there was a survey around, uh, I think, t- 2018 saying that less than 10% of the Brazilians are actually able to speak English. And I think out of the 10%, I think it's only like 2%. Uh, say that they can actually speak English fluently. So mm-hmm. it's super low here in Brazil. Um, I was really lucky because I studied at an American school here in Brazil. So from pre-K to 12th grade, I studied at an American school. And then, so English was like, I was, you know, it was a bilingual school. So like most of the subjects, I'd say, apart from Portuguese, like all of the other subjects were in English. So mm-hmm. English just became like naturally part of my life. And then when I when I finished high school, I some of my friends went to the U.S. for university. I decided to stay here in Brazil. And in Brazil, we got an exam, like a university entrance exam. And it's a bit different from what happens in the U.S. with the SAT and then applying for college. Here's a bit different. Like you take an exam, at least when I did it, it was specifically for a university and you had to pick a course. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but then... A friend of mine told me about this school, this language school that was hiring English teachers. And all you needed was basically to have fluent English. So I was 19. I had just turned 19. I went there. I did their three-day uh, three uh, training, got the job. And basically, it was just to get some pocket money. Like, I never thought of myself as a teacher. But then because I liked it so much, six months later, when I had to apply for the exam, I chose linguistics and literature, English and Portuguese. So that means that like now I'm a licensed teacher to teach English and Portuguese to middle and high school students here in Brazil. So that's how it was like, it was basically because of my friend, because she was like, dude, do you want to, you know, 
And but then it really became a passion. Like I fell in love with teaching, and 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 I already knew English, but I really fell in love with, with teaching. Then that's how I, I got into teaching. It's been like that since I don't know. It's for about about 19 years, I think, as an English teacher. Yeah. Okay, great. And you started out your career then in Brazil, teaching English to Brazilians. Did you? How did it sort of change from that to thinking about maybe I would like to go abroad and have that international experience? I've always loved uh, the idea of like moving abroad. Like when I was 16 and, and when I was in high school, uh, we had French classes and I, it was an elective class, but I really liked it. So I, I've, I had like French from like eighth grade to 12th grade, nonstop. And then I wanted to go to France to study French, but I just couldn't, you know, at that time. But then when I started working, I actually two years or three years after I started working, I saved up some money and I went to Nice and South of France and studied uh, for almost a month there. I studied French and that was my first experience, you know, abroad. It was not too much, but I, I really liked it. And then the fact that I was able to like meet people from all over the world and, and just practice, uh, you know, a new language. And I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So I went backpacking uh, in Europe other times, traveled a lot around South America, the U.S., and then I was like, I know, I know that I am going to end up abroad, you know, sometime in my, some point in my life. And then in 2015, it was basically like, okay, I've been teaching here for about 13 years. I've worked in like different roles, academic consultant, teacher, uh, director of studies. I was like, I need some kind of challenge. And that's when the idea, the whole idea of like going to Asia came up because as I just said before, like I traveled to like three different continents. And I was like, but Asia was always something like too far. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, I think now is the time to, you know, try and, and go to Asia. And that's when I went online, found this job, found a couple of jobs, applied to this, to this first job and ended up in China. How long was that process from start to finish? And what were those steps? You, you make it sound very easy and perhaps it was, but if you get a little bit more in the details, I think that might help some other folks that are thinking about doing similar things. That's that's actually very interesting because the, the, the thing about like jobs in China, like it changes kind of every year. So you got to be careful with that. Like when I went there in 2015, it was a different process, the requirements, the documents and stuff. But uh, nowadays it's a bit more, a bit more different. So I'm just saying like, whenever you, you look for jobs in China, make sure you check, you know, the requirements and everything. So my process was I basically went to uh, tefl.com and looked for jobs and I wrote and I picked Asia. I actually found some jobs. I applied to like two jobs in Russia as well in Turkey. But then I thought that like Turkey is not that far from like Western Europe and Russia. I mean, even though most of Russia is in Asia, you know, Moscow is in Europe, you know? So I'm like, it's not that far as well from uh, the rest of Western Europe because I've, I've been there. So I'm like, if I want to go somewhere new, I'll choose China. So I chose China. I basically went online, found a couple of jobs. I applied through Tafel.com. They sent me an email. We had a Skype meeting, first meeting, and then the second meeting, just like an interview, job interview. And then they, yeah, then they, they said, okay, we'll start the process. So they sent me, I had to send some documents online. They uh, scanned copies. They prepared like a letter from the government saying that they wanted to hire me and the government said, okay. Um, so they sent me back, uh, they sent me like a, a, 
physical copy, like they mailed it to Brazil. Then I got this copy, went to the, actually I used an agent. It was super easy. I didn't have to leave my house. Like Brazil is too big. So I didn't have to leave my house, no embassies, no nothing. Like send it to this agent. He got it already in less than 10 days. I had my passport with the sticker uh, with the work visa, which in China work visa is a Z visa. Mm -hmm. So sometimes this is actually something very important. Like some jobs, some, some companies promise you a work visa, but it's actually like a business visa or mm. come on a tourist visa. Like I wouldn't recommend that. Like it was, I left Brazil with a work visa, a Z visa, and then got to China and they helped me there with everything else when I got there. Did you just have a good sense that these uh, guys were going to give you the right visa and figure it out? Because obviously it was your first time you're saying now how important it is. And I've heard that from other people in my life as well as on this podcast. So if someone were to encounter the unfortunate situation of someone trying to give them the wrong visa or telling them to do something that's not 100% uh, legal, let's say, what should they do? How should they know how to proceed? Because the first time you're just kind of not really sure what the right process is, right? Sure. Yes. That's really important because I, I actually said it's a Z, Z visa is a work visa. Yes. But when, when they register Z visa, they also say, what's your role in the company or the position? So some people who get a Z visa, but are not qualified to teach English in, in China, they might get a, v, a visa as like a manager of a company or any other thing. So just make sure that when you're doing the interview, like that they are really going to give you a Z visa, which is a work visa. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be like an English teacher there. If that's the role in my case, I, I I worked with a small company, uh, but it was a British-owned company. So I was yes, I was I was worried because I had no idea like what to expect, you know. And if you go to these forums and even Facebook mm -hmm. groups, it's like it's not the, the best place to like you know to find motivation like to go to Asia, <laughs> especially yeah. if you've never been to Asia. But once I was in China, like I could I understood how everything worked, but. But yeah, I was kind of scared. So yeah. just make sure like the company, read about the companies, look for like, uh, there's like, I think Dave's ESL Cafe, like you have the blacklisted companies, mm -hmm. go there, you know, talk to other employ employees that you might find on LinkedIn and stuff. And just make sure it's like legit because yeah, you don't want to get in tr into trouble. And I've seen people getting into trouble like in China. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you decide which city to move to? I suppose that was decided by the job, but if you could talk us through ultimately picking the destination and ending up there in your first few weeks, if not months there, what those were like. Yeah. Well, actually, I was just thinking about that now, um, which, why, why did I end up in Qingdao? Yes, it was a job, but I, I applied to other jobs as well. The thing is, before going to China, unfortunately, because Western media only shows like, you know, really bad things about China. <laughs> yeah. So the worst things that everyone here, I mean, everyone has seen, I'm, I'm sure it's like the pollution in China. So right. it's like, you see it on TV and you're like, oh my God, like, you no, know, people wear a mask, you know? So um, I avoided Beijing and the Northern cities because of everything that I had seen, you know, Qingdao is on the coast. Mm. And it's, if you look at it in the map, it's actually one hour by plane from South Korea. So in South Korea, Beijing in one hour to Shanghai. So it's literally like, it's very well located. It's on the coast. And in the 20, 2008 Olympics, Beijing Olympics, it was in Qingdao where they had the sailing competition, everything, mm. you know? Mm. So they were talking about Qingdao. Like I read and I saw, I watched some videos about Qingdao. 
And yeah, it is, it is, I saw the pictures, it's like, wow, it's a beautiful city. It's not very warm, but I don't have a problem with that, but it's on the coast. And they say that it, there's less pollution compared to other bigger cities in China. So I, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go there. Also, I didn't want to go, I mentioned Beijing, but I didn't want to go to Beijing or Shanghai, to be very honest. Like I loved Beijing. Beijing is my favorite city in China by far, but I didn't want to live there because I really wanted to have like a different Chinese experience. It's like, if you go to Brazil and you go to Rio, yeah, yeah. it's real. Like it's everything that people talk about. Yeah, it's amazing. But Brazil is like huge. So I said, no, like I want to go somewhere that like, it's not full of expats and it's a bit more, I don't want to say Chinese, but yeah, it's a bit less Western, you know, right. even though it's still Western, but yeah. Did you feel like one of the few foreigners there or did you end up, how did you actually make friends and how did you meet people? What was the feel like? Were you really, um, you know, the, the, the foreigner in the Chinese environment? Yeah, it's it's funny because the whole Qingdao metropolitan area, like the bigger Qingdao, has about 8 million people. That's, yeah, that's a lot of people. But the, the, the place where the school was, it was kind of far from the downtown area. So there, there were maybe two or three, only two or three English schools that had foreign teachers. And our school was one of them. So in our school, there were 10 foreigners, 11 foreigners. So yeah, most of the time, I mean, we were, you know, it, it was our expat bubble there. Like uh, 10 of us, we would, you know, hang out together and stuff. But then in China, like it's really common for students to invite teachers, like to hang out, go out, even go drinking and stuff. I'm talking about adult students, of course, but like adult students would invite us, you know, for dinners, for like parties and stuff. So we would also hang out with, with students and friends of students. And then we would go to that local cafe owned by, you know, Chinese. And then uh, this person would become our friend as well. So we start, we started like to expand our bubble. So we had a lot of, it was us there, but then every time we went downtown and downtown was like 45 minutes by taxi. So every time we got downtown, yes, there you had expats from like all over the world. And it was just super international, but I really like this feeling. And, mm-hmm. and I, I like the fact that like, Qingdao has something that I, I had no idea about, like, before getting there. They have, I think they have uh, the largest Korean community in China mm. because it's so close to Seoul. There are many flights, like daily flights to Seoul and stuff. So there are many factories, especially where we were in in, in Qingdao. So I, I'd say that 40% of my students were from Korea. Mm. So it was also nice to have this mix of, like, Korean culture and Chinese culture and also expats, you know, uh, as well. So yeah, that was that was how I made. I st- that was the beginning, like how I started, you know, making friends and expanding our uh, our bubble. Yeah, and you mentioned that the students there, you, at least you were referring to the adult students. Was the job specifically with adult students, or how? And, and how did you make a decision between that versus with elementary school kids? And I mean, there's so many different scenarios that you can teach English. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, the I'd say there four different scenarios in China, okay, specifically about China. The number one and the largest group is English schools, okay, so they call it training centers or language schools or English schools. That's uh, by far the largest market, and you can get, like, anything, like, I mean, from 7,000 RMB a month to 20,000 RMB a month, like, it's, it's, it's like this, and then, um, and that's, that's where I chose, was the training center, but you have universities, 
which are usually the lowest paying jobs, uh, mm-hmm. teaching English at universities. And then you have public schools, kindergartens as well. And then the last one are the international schools or mm-hmm. international programs. And that's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to talk about that because that's, uh, that was my second and third job in China. So, but yeah, yeah for, at the beginning was an English school. And I decided to do that, to teach. I taught kids, teens and adults. And I wanted to go to an English school because that was my setting in Brazil. Like that was my background. Like mm-hmm. I've worked here at language schools for many years. So I said, you know, I know I'm going to change already to like China, but at least I know how it works. Like even the materials we use, I use similar books, you know, that I use here in Brazil. So that was a bit easier, you know? Yeah, definitely. So uh, you had traveled around Europe. You had done a lot of travels before even in the U.S. And you said, indeed, you wanted to have a very different experience. You decided to go to China. And so what was that like? Were you immediately hit with culture shock or did it not really affect you too much? And because you're so well-traveled, it didn't bother you or, or didn't affect you. But how was that? I thought that it wouldn't affect me that much because I have traveled, you know, so much. But yeah, it did. It did. Uh, like it was... China is a whole different world. And even like, just like, as soon as you step out of your house, like it's obvious that you're a foreigner, like, especially when you live in like in smaller cities. So everyone is going to be staring at you. And it's all of that. Like, I, of course I didn't have that, you know, in, in other countries, it was the first time I actually had that. And, but in a nice way, people are curious. People want to know about you. They ask where you're from and, and they're all very friendly, but it was, like the food, even eating with like chopsticks, you know, mm-hmm. the food, the language, the culture, and you see so many babies everywhere and so many kids and you're like, wow. And yeah, like, ah, the toilets, you know, that was the first, it's the, these are the first things. As soon as you get yeah. there, it's, it's all there. hundred percent. Yeah. But at the same time, it's good that like, I could have this feeling because I think the world is so globalized and so international that in a way, it's it's bad like when we you know we travel to you know we travel so far and we kind of see the same restaurant or the same mcdonald's or the same kfc and we're like uh you know so it was good that i had this feeling so yeah i did experience culture shock but it was i think that it wasn't as bad as some of my friends because when i left brazil i was like i'm gonna make this happen like i was like there's no plan b you know Right. A lot of my friends told me that. They were like, what if you don't like China? What if you want to come back? I'm like, listen, there's no coming back. Like, I mean, <laughs> at least for two years, yeah, I'm going to stay there. And that's that's it. So that was my attitude. And I think that helped me a lot, you know, get, getting through these first couple of months. So there were other people that after those first few months, they said, this isn't for me and headed back. Or how did did you have any tough stories with people that you knew there? Absolutely. Yes. The, there were, there were friends who got like, you know, food poison, which is mm. normal. Oh, I mean, that's you, very normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone, anyone like, you know, from, I don't know, the U S here comes to Brazil, like they're going to get that as well. It's, it's normal. Like, so, but there were people who were like, they didn't like, they, I think they didn't want to accept that. Like it is different and it's not because it's so different that what you do or the way you do stuff is better or anything. So they didn't want to accept that. Like, for example, I heard teachers, they're complaining how the the students or the parents are too, you know, nosy and they want to know more, you know, they want to watch their classes. They want to observe. They want to, they're very demanding, like, you know, but they're, they want more and more and more homework and more this. And they were like, 
they didn't accept that, you know, and, and they didn't accept that, uh, for example, we worked, I mean, I knew I was going to work on, on, on weekends. That's normal in China. Um, some people didn't accept that at all. Some people didn't accept like the holidays that, mm. you know, it's a bit weird, the holiday thing in China, but like, yeah, like sometimes we have a holiday on Monday and then we end up working on Sunday. And then, mm. so these small things, you know, some people, uh, the, the Chinese are, are a bit too loud. It's true. And they have a problem with like, for example, okay, just as compared to like Western standards, now it's like a personal space, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, which of course in the beginning is a bit shocking, but after some time you're like, ah, oh, you get used to it, you know? Mm -hmm. So these small, once you go beyond this, then it's a matter of asking yourself, okay, do you really want to make this happen? Because I thought people, some people there just wanted the travel experience and leave. And right. I, I've seen a lot of expats doing that there. You know, they just want to go there, get some money so they can travel. I was not, that was not my plan. That's what I'm saying. Like, so yeah, it's fine. But some people are like, no, I want to go and, and spend a year. And some people literally spend a year while others like went there for a year and they're still there. Like, right. so it's like, <laughs> so yeah. And uh, you mentioned travel, so I just want to touch on that briefly. Did you get a chance to really travel around China and the broader region, or were you more, let's get that local environment and more just hang around the city that you were in at the time? Both, actually. I loved hanging around, like, you know, the province and then the northern part of China to some other place, like Beijing, for example. I've been to Beijing four times, four different mm -hmm. times. It's my favorite city in China, even beyond the touristy area. Like, I love the culture in Beijing, mm -hmm. like. Uh, I've been to Shanghai a couple of times, Shenzhen, the biggest cities. And I've been, I've also been like to, it's one of the things that I didn't know about China is like how they really enjoy like hiking and mountains and nature. So I've traveled to other places that if I say here, like people are not going to know, but I just want to mention one place that was by far my favorite place in China. It's really common. It's really popular among expats. Uh, it's called Yang Shuo, Yang mm. Shuo. And it's in Guilin province. And if you, if you, if you just want to know where it is, just get a Google a 20 RMB bill and since look at the back and you see those mountains and it's just, Jesus, it's just beautiful. It's so much nature. So I literally spent like a week there cycling, hiking, swimming in the rivers. And it was just an amazing, it's one of the most beautiful places that I've, I've been like in the world. So yeah. So that's, that's a great thing about China. You get the high tech, super developed uh, cities like Hong Kong, for example, as well. And you get these places that are like, you know, more um, countryside and stuff. So yeah, I tried to travel around China and I also traveled to a couple of countries, other countries, you know, in Asia. Yeah, I've been to Yangshuo as well. And that was a really amazing place. I didn't get to spend a week there, but even just a weekend. And I think it was going down the river and taking out the 20 RMB bill, like you said, and Oh, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> you see yes. it right there. It's it's an amazing place. Yeah, definitely. I was also curious about if it was important for you to pick, even just on a personal level, to learn some Chinese. Or I don't know if you'd cite any before that you before you went. But if you could talk about that a bit in terms of actually living in China, how important it is to speak Chinese? That would be great. Yeah the 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 thing is when something that was really shocking was when I arrived at the airport, Beijing International Airport. I was I had like a three hour wait till I got my next flight. And then I went to buy like coffee, a latte and a croissant. And then I literally got to this big cafe inside the country's perhaps, I don't know, largest airport. And I just said, can I have a coffee and a croissant? And she was like, what? 
and she couldn't speak English. Mm. And I know probably today it's going to be different, but in 2015, that's what happened in my first mm. 10 minutes in China. And that's when I realized I'm like, wow, I'm in the largest, you know, airport city, right. international place, and, and they couldn't speak English. So that's one thing I would have done differently. I would have learned a bit more Chinese because for the job, you don't need English. And they said, like, we offer free Mandarin classes in the school. And I, I had those classes when I got there, but I would have learned a bit more because I needed to be together. I needed to be with people who could speak uh, Chinese. Like, so I think everyone does, no matter how fluent, I mean, fluent you are, you need to open a bank account and stuff like that. But what, what right. I'm saying is to meet locals, if you know basic Mandarin, like it does help a lot, even if you're going to a big city like Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine doubly so, triply so, if you're going to a smaller city, right? Even though in in China, the small cities are really big. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. Awesome. So uh, I know that you, I believe, spent about one year in that city and then moved on to the next city. So if you could talk us through that transition, how you found the next opportunity, how you picked the next city, then that would be great. Yeah, sure. So after one year in Qingdao, uh, it, was, it was towards the end of my contract and my boss talked to me and said he wanted to like, you know, extend my contract, renew my contract and for one more year. And I, I wanted to stay there because, you know, um, I knew many people and I was comfortable and stuff. But that's the thing about China. As I said about Brazil, like it's such a big country that I know China is a bit bigger than Brazil. But like if you say if you go to one city in Brazil, depending where you are, you don't know Brazil. So. Um, I'm from the Northeast. It's three hours by plane to Sao Paulo, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And it's like two different worlds. Like mm-hmm. it's it's almost our winter here and it's 29 degrees. And, you know, it's so and that's that's how it is all year round, basically. So what I'm saying is I was like, OK, I'm, I'm, I've been one year in, in Qingdao. It's kind, it's kind of the north of China, close to Beijing. Yeah. So I want to live one year in the south now. And Qingdao is a very, very wealthy province. So like you can see that like people are wealthy and, you know, the buildings and everything. So I, so I went to Jianxi province, which most people don't know about. And it's not a wealthy province at all. Like everyone that I would say like in Qingdao, I'm going, I'm going to move to Nanchang, which is the capital. They're like, why, why? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's inland. It's not on the coast. Yes. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to go there. And why I decided to go there, I just basically went again at Tafel.com, found three other jobs, applied to them. And then I, I was in between this city and a city close to Shanghai, also a very wealthy region. And I was like, I don't want to go to another wealthy region. Like, I want to mm-hmm. see more of, you know, rural China and, and stuff. So the second main reason was that, was that I, I wanted to sh- make this shift from language school to international international program inside a public school. Mm-hmm. So that was the job there in Nanchang. So I, I I had less hours, working hours, salary was kind of the same, but I would teach internet uh, students in an international program who are all going to go abroad. So they were high school mm-hmm. students who are all going to go abroad, mostly to the US and Australia, some to the UK and Canada as well. So yeah, that was my second year in China. So could you just describe a bit, obviously you've talked about some of the demographic differences, but what was your lifestyle? Uh, how did, was that different from in Qingdao? I lived on campus for my first year. So that was amazing because, you know, like we, I didn't mention rent, but like this in China, it's really common for the schools to offer an apartment hmm. 
or a monthly stipend. Like in my case, they offered the apartment. So I lived I lived on campus in a really small apartment with a perfect apartment with a balcony, very nice. And I would just literally walk for five minutes and I'd be in the classroom. So that was amazing just to be able to live in the, on campus. Apart from that, I think it was a bit like, um, how can I say? I was uh, in Qingdao, I was kind of like on the outskirts of the city. In Nanchang, I was downtown, mm. let's say. But still, the pace is not like Qingdao, you know? Mm. And things are not that far. So that was that was the perhaps the main difference. But yeah, it was as cold. I mean, it was not that cold, but still it was very cold in the winter and boiling in the summer. So that mm. was perhaps the main difference in but the rest of I I don't I don't think it was that much of a difference to be very honest like yeah I just think it's a smaller city so mm-hmm. it's around four point something million people but it's yeah it's a very I think it's a very nice city like it's it's a smaller downtown area so it's easier to meet everyone so just imagine like you know I, I my friends there the farthest we would go would be forty minutes on a taxi to get to a place but still that would be like the airport like apart mm-hmm. from that everything was like 15 20 minutes away right right so you mentioned wanting to also go to the city because it wasn't as wealthy of a province it was more rural let's say uh so did you find it to be a more rural experience and what did that look like to you when you experienced it in nunchang in my second year it was it was not that rural like later in my third year yes but in this second year no it's a big city but still it's it's not as wealthy and when i say not as wealthy like i I, like my friends like my not my students but like friends that i met you know uh, locals and stuff you'd see that they were more humble people like you know they had money but still they would be like like the the barbecue place the restaurants everything was kind of like more chilled i'd say than like some posh or expensive places that they were in Qingdao. of course you had that as wine and chun you have the 200, 300 RMB for steak in a restaurant. Yes. But I'm saying that like, it's more laid back, you Mm -hmm. know, this Mm -hmm. province, I think. And that's what I wanted to see because not only that city, but I wanted to travel around that region. So I could see more rural China in a way because I went to like uh, hiking in um, some mountains. I went to the countryside, rice fields and stuff like that. You could do that, you know, because it just it's so easy with the high speed train, like just travel around for the the day or for the weekend. And that was amazing. So that's what I wanted to do, like go to the north, explore, go to the south, explore. But you must have also, I guess, experienced quite different cuisine, at least I would imagine. So given in China it can differ quite greatly between regions. So was it another adjustment period for you? <laughs> yeah, that was that was tough, actually, because food in China is spicy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my students say, no, it's spicy from that province. I'm like, no, listen, guys, it's spicy, period. But some provinces like Nanchang, uh, Jiangxi province, the second place, it's spicier than in the north in Qingdao. So that was definitely a huge problem. Like in the beginning, I, would, I, would, I used to go to like barbecue place and I would say not spicy, not spicy. And it would still be spicy. And that's right. just how it is. Like, I mean, I got used to it, of course. But the the cuisine is a is a, is a bit uh, different actually uh, when I moved to the south. But the, but the good thing is that as you said, like there's so many different cuisines in China, like different depending on the region. And then you would also have these different restaurants in both cities. So 
I know I really like uh, the Cantonese cuisine, so I would go just go to that restaurant. But I'd also like the local cuisine because of the noodles they have in the morning. Like mm. it's really nice. So I would also go there. So even in smaller cities, you would have that and a bit of international restaurants options like uh, Pakistani, Indian, Italian. Like you'd have these these different restaurants, and you could also go like American, a proper like American burger and stuff. You, you'd also find that, but it, of course, much more expensive. And if you could talk uh, for a bit about the experience of changing to work with the international program, so it sounds pretty exciting actually to be able to help people that are on the verge of going to an English speaking country from China. So they're they're almost doing the reverse of what you did, right? In a sense. So yeah, what was that like? That was an amazing experience, like because the kids, like in China, high school is tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade, so it's the last three years, and I would teach these students, and and part of the classes were like helping them with the exam, like the IELTS exam, or TOEFL, and the other part of the class was like grammar, uh, public speaking, communicative skills, and stuff like that. It was really cool because I would be like teaching like really helping these kids like before making this big move and like anticipating problems and helping them like once they got accepted into colleges we would look into like the college and I would you know help them with that as well so it it was it was a really cool experience to do that because it's different when you're learning a language and you might never leave your country you know uh these kids were actually gonna go in like one or two years they were gonna move abroad and stuff so it was an amazing experience and also i was kind of tired of like just like in language school sometimes everything is so fast you know because you need to give that lesson and you need to cover that topic and you need to do that and in this school of course we had the syllabus and everything but it was more like okay if the student can't learn you know this kind of essay it's okay for you to like keep you know working on that with them so i like the pace um and i like that the lessons oh i liked again working from monday to friday as well like i wouldn't work on weekends and the lessons like yeah it was it was it was good because sometimes i would wake up in the morning teach from 8 to 12 and then i was done mm-hmm. so it was a bit more like i had much more time to plan my classes and help students and stuff so i really liked that and i really liked being in international program so international program just so people can have an idea there were 10th 11th 12th grade there were about 70 or 80 students but then they were inside one building and the other and which was inside this campus with like i don't know 7000 8000 students but they were part from they were part of the public school the gaokao program yeah mm, got it so it sounds like you had adjusted well to this well at least decently well to this new cuisine <laughs> this new city different experience you were enjoying working with the students so why did you decide to move to the next city yeah so i went i i i used i usually say that i go, i went to china for the adventure mm. because i wanted to see something completely different but i stayed for the money and it's it's very <laughs> it's very when i say that some people are like what i'm like of course it's not only the money of course i love the country i love the students of course but once you get to china you're like okay like i'll you know come here and i'll give you double your salary and they're like what and i'm not i mean i i've been a teacher my whole life and i'm not used to that you know like right, it's right. it's Being something in demand. Like, <laughs> yes and you're like what so this uh my third year in china was actually in the same province 40 minutes by train high speed train 
And that was more rural, like in the countryside, the city called Fuzhou, close to Nanchang, but it's like 40 minutes away. Also an international program, the same way as just described this one. It was the same, same thing, an international program inside a public school, a big school. I accepted this the offer because, yeah, it was a great offer and I wouldn't be that far from Nanchang. So I could always mm-hmm. see my friends there on the weekends. So I decided to stay. I'm like, oh, and then I, I had to sign a two-year contract. And I was like, wow, I came here for two years. Now I'm signing for two more years. So, but yeah, it was, the money was good. And of course, the experience was also, I was having a great time. I, I, I cannot lie. So yeah, that's why I decided to make this move. And now I was kind of okay. Like I was not scared anymore. I could speak a bit of Chinese. Hmm. My friends were there in the capital city. I, could all, I, I always spent the weekend there with them. So I'm like, you know what? It's, it's okay. Like I'm used to international program. By that time I was already used. So that's why I decided to, you know, make this move and go there to Fuzhou. Um, it, it sounds like then it would have been much easier transition because indeed it's so close. So uh, did you feel like you still wanted more adventure or, I mean, it's, I guess it sounds indeed like you're saying it's was switching more to being focused on job opportunities, which is great to be able to get those options there. But um did you, I, I don't know, I, it almost felt like maybe the third place would be yet another whole different part of such a gigantic country. So just curious on your thoughts on, you know, changing that focus and indeed deciding that you would actually stay for even two more years after you thought you might be headed back or somewhere different. Yeah, I I mean, it was the same setting, but I was like, I was also responsible for the English program. So um, I had to like help you know, changing and adapting and uh, improving the English program. But yeah, the setting was the same. The hours were longer. I had more responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, yes, very similar. I still wanted to be there because I wanted to explore the region a bit more. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to travel not only inside China, but also to other countries. And that's how I got to like travel a bit around, uh, a bit around other Asian countries. So, but I, I did, I lo- like, I love the, I was really comfortable. Like, and that's weird when you, to be feeling that in China, being very honest, like it's it's weird that, but I was so comfortable that I didn't see myself moving somewhere else at that time. I wanted to stay there because it was kind of home already for me. So yeah, like I I I literally just moved to another city because of the offer, but I was still in a way in Nanchang because I would go there every week and like, as I said, 37 minutes on a train, it's nothing like, so yeah. So you were living in Fuzhou, which was very near to Nanchang, and you signed that two-year contract. So what was your plan going into the second year or coming up on the end of that second year in that new contract? Yeah, so I I spent, I started my, 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 two, my two-year contract there. And then at the end of that two-year contract, so that's like four years in China, my boss talked to me and said, would you like to extend it to two more years? And I was like, yes, I'll do that. I mean, it was not that simple. But yes, I decided to, to, to stay there because, you know, everything was great and stuff. But then something happened. I, I actually, when I, I went on holidays, like to, to, to Europe, to meet up with my mom and stuff. And then when I came back to China, it was the beginning of this, of my fifth year. And I was not feeling very, um, how can I say, not very happy there anymore. And I didn't know why at first. Now I actually realized that it was all the changes in the international program. And also some of my friends had left China because of some changes in like visa requirement and stuff. So a lot of my friends had left. And I just thought that like the school 
was more interested in like the high TOEFL score instead of everything else. I'm more than an English teacher. I'm an educator. I love, you know, really getting the students like from medium uh, average level, whatever, to like the highest they can be. So I didn't like that. I was not that excited anymore. You know, that was when I told my boss, listen, instead of ending the contract in June 2020, 2021, I want to end my contract on June 2020. And he said, okay, no problem. You've been here for so many years. Don't worry. That's fine. So that was when, um, yeah, I talked to my boss. I remember December 2019 and he accepted and that was fine. So uh, the problem is uh, one month later, I flew to Brazil and because of the pandemic and everything, I wasn't able to get back to China. So my boss actually told me to go back. But when he told me to go back, it was around April. Europe, I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure you've all seen like Italy and Spain and other European countries. It was really bad. So I told him, no way, like I'm not going to fly because I need to fly via Europe at least. You right, know? right. So I told him, no, I'm not going. And then I, I ended my contract, yes, in June 2020. But I came here for two weeks and it's been a year and three months now. But yeah. <laughs> So as, as you reflect on that experience, I mean, and, and yeah, now that you've been there for over a year, how, how has it been? It, it must have been so abrupt. It's hard to even imagine what you were going through. You left all of your stuff there. You were expecting to come back and two weeks turns into this long period of time. So just if you could just tell me a bit about what you experienced, what you felt uh, over this time would be great. I It hasn't been easy, but... Uh, because of everything that's happening with the world right now, of course, but it hasn't been easy, as you said, because literally my, I have four years and a half of China inside one suitcase and it's with a friend still in China. Mm -hmm. So I haven't received like, you know, and yeah, it's still there. Like I, I trust my friend. She's also from Brazil. So it's there with her. But still, literally, like I had a friend, a Chinese friend go into my apartment with his phone and his camera on. And video call, and I would say, open this drawer, get this, please put that back, please throw that away, do this with this, put it all in the suitcase. Does it fit? No. So remove this, throw it away for two hours and just going through my stuff and doing that. And that was so sad, like really, because it's, yeah, like I had everything there. So that was the, that was really sad. I, I couldn't say goodbye to my students. I couldn't say goodbye to some friends. I couldn't go to, you know, I wanted to visit one Joe. I wanted to visit other places and I couldn't go. So that was the really sad part. And it took me some time to like digest everything because even though I mean my hometown in Brazil and my mom is here, my family is here, some friends are here. It's not the same because I was not expecting this. Like my plan, I actually didn't say this in the beginning, but my plan was always to move to Europe. And that in 2015, I was thinking about moving to Europe, but China was, as I said, the adventure. So I said, I'm going to spend two years in China, and then I'm going to eventually move to Europe. But yeah, two years turned into five, and then I'm now back home, and I didn't want to be here. Like, to be very honest, like, I, I have this love and hate relationship with Brazil, hmm. and I love a lot of things, but I also hate a lot of things here about this country. So, yeah, it's great that I'm here. Like, I'm not going to complain because I have friends who are in Malaysia. Like they've been in Malaysia since then, like over a year. And they're not, you know, they're from Europe. And I have friends in Thailand, in the Philippines, still stuck waiting to go back to China. So 
in a way, I'm lucky that it's I'm lucky to be here. So my plan now is like to basically just do my stuff here, work online, and wait till things get better and eventually in the second semester, hopefully move to Europe. Okay, great. Well, it sounds like a great plan that you have going forward, but if you could go back in time, which we all know that none of us can, but if you could, and you had ended up actually been able to, if you had been able to stay there in China instead of going to Brazil and perhaps wait it out however long this will take, but this whole pandemic in China, would you have preferred that outcome or relative to that, you're still happier being where you are now? Wow, that's a great question. Um, okay, I, if you had asked me that three months, six months after I had arrived here in Brazil, I would have said, definitely take me back to China right now. Yes. Right now, I'm like, no, it's good that I'm, I'm here. My friends, my, my close friends know me. Like they, they know that it's kind of a joke that I'm stuck in Brazil because they know that I, like the last place I wanted to be was Brazil. Like, like they make fun of me actually, you know, but that's, and I think that's actually something good because the only way for me to stay in Brazil for one year, I mean, longer than two months is a pandemic or a world yeah. war. Like that's the only way. So I'm, I'm glad I'm here because I've been, I've been like last weekend, I was with my mom. Uh, it was her birthday. And then my newborn nephew was there as well. So I love, you know, to, uh, it's great to enjoy these moments. I love the food here. Like, oh my God, like I love Brazilian food. And I love a lot of like, of course, my friends and everything. And the weather is nice. Like, so I went to the beach, you know, it's, I live literally three blocks from the beach. So it's like, yeah, like, you know, even yeah. with COVID and everything, I can still go and walk at the beach if I want now. So right. it's good that I'm here because I know that as soon as I leave and the borders open, You're <laughs> I won't be coming. I won't be, I will, yeah, I won't be coming back anytime soon. So yeah. <laughs> Not that I want to get into it too deeply, but I'm just curious because you mentioned it. Could you talk a little bit, even in just uh, some high level pointers on what it exactly is that isn't your favorite about living in Brazil that maybe gets mm -hmm. under your skin a bit over the last year? It's tough. Uh, we could have a whole show about that. Yeah. Okay. Love, <laughs> maybe we love should. and hate, <laughs> love and hate relationship. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to start just saying like the things that I love about this country. I love the, Uh, the culture, the music, the food, the uh, the nature. Like I went to beaches in Thailand. Yes, they were beautiful. But listen, I I can drive for 40 minutes and it's something like Thailand. Like I'm not joking. Like it's it's paradise here. Like mm. and as I said, it's in my region. I'm in northeast, close to the equator. So it's 25 something degrees, 28 all year round. I love that we can literally just, you know, go to the, I can go to the beach every single day. That's why when I travel, I like to go like during winter <laughs> where it's snowy because to go to a beautiful beach. Yeah, I have it here. Like, so I love the, the, how people, especially in the Northeast, the Northeastern region of Brazil, like how people are so friendly and nice and like, they'll talk to you. And, and even if they don't know, you, you're going to go buy bread at the bakery. They're going to start a conversation like, and I, I love that about Brazil as well. And I, and I think I, yeah, like that's, the, the, these are actually, I think the best things about the country. What I hate about the country is the fact that I don't take, like, I mean, if it's like in the evening, like I wouldn't walk too much. Like if it's like two blocks, I would go, 
But like, I don't want, I, I, it's not safe. Mm. Like, especially depending, of course, with the region where you were and everything, like some foreigners would, would say, no, it's not that dangerous. Well, come and live here and then you'll see how, how dangerous it is. It is, it is not a safe country. And it's, and, and, and I really, I, that's what I really loved about China, actually. It's the safest country I've ever been to. So I also love and hate the people because, as I said, they're super friendly. But at the same time, the people are super, like, the government is corrupt. But the people are very corrupt as well. You know, mm-hmm. Brazilians are corrupt. They, they always try to find a way out, a way into doing things their own way. And I think that that is one, one of the reasons why we're still the way we are, like we're not a high superpower, a superpower in the world, politically, economically, we're not because it's like so much corruption. And like, so when I was in my late teens, I don't know, early twenties, I literally realized that like, after going to Europe so many times, after going to the US, I was like, there is no way till the day I die that Brazil will ever be anything similar Mm. to a regular average European country or U.S., the U.S., or like, like, there's no way. And I still believe in that. Like, and don't get me wrong. I like, I'm from Brazil. I, you know, my many people that I love live here, but being exposed to these other countries in Europe and the U.S. and, and Asia now, like South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, oh, yeah. I mean, they're not perfect countries, but still like, there's no way Brazil is going to get there because yeah, there's all of these problems. So safety is, is perhaps, uh, as I said before, like it's not safe here and safety perhaps is the number one thing that I'm looking for when I move to a country. And so that's one of the reasons why as well, other countries in South America are now my first option because even though they might be safer than Brazil and some of them really are, of course, it's still not as safe as I would, you know, like to be as a place that I would like to be like my ideal place. So yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate your honest and <laughs> of course your view as someone from there and has, has now been back for a bit. But uh, as we go into kind of wrapping up our conversation here, I'd love to hear more about your series called Ready Go Expat. So I know that you've talked to a lot of other expats. You've talked about your experience on there. So just share a little bit about how you started it, why you started it, and how it's grown since you began. Sure. In December 2019, on my birthday, actually, I decided to start the YouTube channel Ready Go Expat. But I, 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 the first video was uploaded in December, but I actually started recording the videos in June 2019. Why I did that? I, I, I was thinking that like after being exposed to like so many different cultural backgrounds, like because when you live in China, you you're not only exposed to like Chinese culture you're exposed to like indian pakistani uh, uh cultures from like all over the world and then you're in this melting pot of like different cultures different accents everybody speaking english with their own you know accent and i learned so much in these four and a half years there i was like i need to show this to the world because i don't know i'm gonna say i'm gonna be i'm gonna sound like john lennon like you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. That's from that's John Lennon, right? Oh my that's, god, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably yeah. It sounds like it. <laughs> I hope it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's kind of a dreamer. But I think that there's so much hatred in the world. There's so much people not listening to each other. That happens, of course, in my country, in China, in like because we're all in these digital bubbles. Okay, but even on top of that. 
when you watch something or you listen to you know the news you watch the news like about another country it's usually negative it's usually bad and people are not aware of how beautiful some different cultural cultural backgrounds of uh, festivals parties traditions people are not aware of that so i wanted to show that like i wanted to get a camera literally just walk on the streets of china and say guys this is china it's not pollution and earthquake and everything and tsunami like i don't know it's not only that you know like china is beautiful the language is beautiful the the culture the food so i wanted to show that more and that was the the initial plan that was basically the initial plan like show more of that to people and then get someone from pakistan to talk about you know what is it like to be an international student in china just give me your perspective and then someone from ghana and say well when i arrived in china and show his perspective so basically show different perspectives because what i think being very honest is that at the end of the day this my friends from spain and my friends from thailand they kind of want the same thing they want a safe place for for their families they want to party if they're young you know they want to meet people they want to experience you know taste different kind of cuisines and, and that's that's it like we all kind of want the same things so that was the initial plan but the funny thing is that of course I started it in December 2019 and then January 2020 <laughs> the pandemic starts so like borders closed nobody can travel nobody can see anything so right on well it'd be great if you could tell us how our listeners can find out more about you and what you're doing and of course to tune in to Ready Go Expat as well sure sure so um if you want to watch the uh, videos uh as David mentioned there's the YouTube channel it's youtube.com/ready-go-expat I've also got my podcast which is called Expats Exposed so The podcast started after the channel actually uh in 2020 in 2020 but after one year after the channel started and it's basically to get to do what David is also doing like to you know meet people share their stories get people from all different countries and different perspectives and you know just share their story about like living abroad moving abroad um so that was the the whole idea and and that's what I did so you can go to any podcast platform uh and just type expats exposed and you'll find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your stories today. Ed, you look forward to keeping in touch and uh definitely see you on the other show soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please take a minute and give us a 5-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com/expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.